It took me about three weeks to regain the ability to speak. And when I did, I was able to squeak out the words, what happened to me. Growing up in Connecticut, Ryan Boyle was an outdoorsy kid. If he wasn't racing a BMX down a dirt track, he'd be hurtling around the yard in a go-car. He was nine in October 2003 when he went to a friend's birthday party. I remember the first thing we did there was go paintballing. And then we came home and uh, rode his dirt bike and his woods and all that. And then in the morning, all I remember was having a bowl of cereal and going out the door. And then I woke up two months later. Ryan had cycled out onto the road and got hit by a truck. It dragged him 55 feet and the back of his head took most of the impact. He was airlifted to hospital, where the doctors told his parents that they operated on him as if he had a chance. They didn't really think he did. They performed emergency brain surgery because the back of my skull was crushed into my cerebellum, which controls many of the body's functions. And... Um, They not only had to remove a good portion of my skull, but also a good portion of my cerebellum. I just thought I was in some sort of dream and I would wake up. When Ryan woke up from the coma two months later, he was only able to move his index finger. He had to reteach himself how to swallow, how to speak, how to move. And he did a lot more than that. He got back on the bike to become a Paralympian, a world champion, an inspiration. And now, an athlete at the top of his game targeting gold in Tokyo. I'm Owen Blackhurst, and for Eurosport, this is Raw. Stories of bravery, determination and talent. When we spoke to Ryan, he'd just got back from his parents' house after a blizzard had dumped two feet of snow on Colorado. Ryan had never seen snow like it, and he's still an outdoorsy kid at heart. But back in 2003, when he woke up after two months in a coma, one urologist told him that at some point, the best he could hope for was typing with his right hand. Ryan had other ideas. There was a therapy village with all the mats and little houses for the therapists to treat their patients. My mom sat next to me by the window on one of the mats one night. And she said, I'm going to make you talk. (laughs) Um, She was adamant. So... She wanted me to sound out words. So I sounded out the H sound, the B sound, and the D sound. She was ecstatic. 
and she immediately got my dad on the phone and said, someone wants to say something to you. And I said, hi, Dada, bye. The rehabilitation was grueling. He had to relearn everything, carefully reprogramming his body to do the things that he'd never had to think about doing before. I said, my goal is to walk out these doors when I'm discharged. And I was in the hospital for seven months. And uh, I did walk out of there. But each of my parents uh, supported each of my arms. So I was in really rough shape, but I walked out of there. (laughs) I was just ecstatic. I was starting my life again, and I was finally free. (laughs) Because, as you could assume, it's not much fun living in a hospital day in and day out. (laughs) After months in hospital, Ryan was pumped to be going back to school. But some of his friends couldn't cope with his disability. A lot of my friends alienated me. They really didn't know how to act around me. I just think kids have a very hard time dealing with other kids who are disabled. And they knew Orion who ran around at recess and swing on the swings and did all that stuff. And then I was in a wheelchair and a vastly different Ryan in their eyes. After moving to a private school, his confidence grew and his progress soared. He went from the wheelchair to walking with a cane and was ready to get back into sport. Within two years, Ryan was walking again unaided. Something that was so far from what doctors had first expected, he was featured on CNN. But they had seen nothing yet. Ryan was soon introduced to his first adaptive bike. So it was actually a hand cycle. They're a low-down three-wheeled bike, mainly for quadriplegics or those without the use of their legs. And since that's the only bike I knew about at the time, I was thrilled to be on it. And I would just ride around the neighborhood and, you know, I felt free. The breeze whipping through my hair, my golden locks. (laughs) Hearing him say this, you can't help but get goosebumps. And after time in his company, it comes as no surprise that he didn't ease himself back in gently. Before carrying on with the story, Ryan leans into the camera. I don't know if you can see it, but I have the scar there. (laughs) So I was whizzing down a hill on my hand cycle and I flipped over and I um, slid my chin against the asphalt. And then I remember I stopped to talk to my neighbor and... Some blood was dripping down 
Needless to say, I ended up going to the hospital and I got stitches. But it was nice to actually be a wild man again and be able to get injured on the bike and, you know, feel like a rebel. Simply tearing around the neighbourhood was never going to be enough for Ryan. A couple of months later, he entered a local race. And that he came last didn't matter. Because afterwards, he met a paracycling coach who told him he needed to ditch the hand cycle. Later that night, he sent me an email with a picture of the trike, which I now ride. Which is basically like a standard two-wheeled bike, but it has an axle on the back to give it two rear wheels instead of one. And that aids with my balance. Once I found out about that, I'm like, well, I need to be a world champion. We've all dreamed about being a world champion. But that's all it is. A dream. Ryan had already proved he could make the miraculous look mundane. And with this goal driving him on, he threw himself into training at college. And I remember I would wake up at like 4.30 every morning to get my bike workout in before classes. I didn't have much of a social life or anything, but I really enjoyed it. I liked pushing myself to the limits and all that, and I liked those early mornings when the whole campus was sleeping. On his bike, at the gym and in the swimming pool, Ryan continued to graft. And the commitment to defying the odds was again paying off. In 2014, he was invited to a racing camp at the Olympic Training Centre in Colorado. In terms of his progression, this was transformative. I saw how great paracyclists are. I made a lot of great friends. And then I saw that there were residents at their training center, like people that lived in there. I couldn't believe it. So I wanted to be one of those people. So that's really what ignited the fire in my soul. You can get so caught up in the phenomenal nature of Ryan's physical recovery that it can be easy to forget the mental trauma. He went from being a daredevil nine-year-old to someone who lost the ability to move. He'd lost his identity and struggled with not being able to do the things he once could. As a 13-year-old, with the anniversary of his accident approaching, Ryan became suicidal. You know, I just didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. So I was getting really down on myself and like I didn't have any friends really. And I wasn't an athlete like I used to be. So I didn't know what to do. So I, I planned on committing suicide. It was a very interesting turn of events because my brother 
invited me to go camping in our backyard that night. And that never happened before. And while we were out there, I told him what my intentions were and how I couldn't do it. And it scared the living bejesus out of him. And uh, that's when he told me something that still sticks in my mind. It's that suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And once he told me that, I'm like, yeah, because life is like a game. And if you commit suicide, you lose automatically. So I couldn't go through with it. And then it dawned on me that I believe my purpose is to inspire others because I have this story that so few people have. And I just want to do my part to make the world a little better every day. And once I came to that realization, I've really never had a bad day since. If you've been affected by this part of Ryan's story, there'll be some contact details at the end of the episode. Ryan's paracycling classification is T2. The T stands for trike and is for athletes with cerebral palsy or neurological conditions. After being invited to the US national team in January 2014, Ryan's ascent to the top was rapid. At age 22, he was selected for the Team USA squad for the Rio Paralympics. He was the youngest member of the paracycling squad. September the 14th, 2016, Rio de Janeiro. It's race day. In a time trial, the cyclists set off at minute intervals. It's not just a race against each other, but against the ticking of the clock and the ticking of your own mind. The continuous crunch of rubber on asphalt. The same asphalt Ryan had been dragged along. The same asphalt he smashed his chin on when he first got back on the bike. After slowly making his way up the ramp to the start line, he was ready to rock. You just have, like, tunnel vision. You're only thinking of the right thing to do. I I would grit my teeth. My veins would be popping out of my arms because I'd be gripping my handlebars so tight. (laughs) Really, what goes through my head once I get in the zone and all, I just repeat, pedal, 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 push, 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 pedal, pedal, pedal. (laughs) In the searing heat of Rio de Janeiro, Ryan was pushing his bike, body and mind to the limit. Brain whirring, legs pumping, eyes fixed. And then once the finish is approaching... You just get so many butterflies into your stomach. And and then once I came around the last few turns, 
I just pedaled like my wife depended on it. <laughs> and then once you cross that line and raise your fist in the air, you have the biggest smile on your face. And um, I knew that I passed like two or three people. So I had an inkling that I did pretty well. I was just focused on breathing and not going into cardiac arrest. <laughs> I remember one of our swan years, our caretaker, sort of say, she grabbed me when I crossed the line and she put me in a chair and she was like, Rye, I think you're on the podium. Ryan had crossed the line 20 seconds ahead of David Stone, a British three-time gold medalist with 16 years of Paralympic experience. And I just busted into tears. I was ecstatic. And she was just like, uh-oh, don't, don't get too excited. Yeah, I don't have confirmation. So then she was screaming, can we get confirmation? <laughs> and um, it was my brother who was still in Connecticut who found out that I got the silver through an app. It was really special. And then, you know, once I got confirmation, I could let all my emotion come out. <laughs> it was like... That one moment represents all the hard work I've done and all the rehab I went through, relearning everything, all the pain and frustration, all the people that came together to help me and my family in our time of need. And, you know, my family's support my parents were there to witness this, which made it all the more amazing. And it was just a moment that I'll relish forever. For most people, this would be enough. Ryan Boyle isn't most people. And as he stood there sweating in the Brazilian sun there was only one thing on his mind. Yeah, I just want to be the best and I wasn't going to settle for a silver. I knew I could do better. I just had to make a few changes and work harder. In 2018, Ryan headed to the World Championships. He'd won silvers and bronzes before. But a long time ago, he'd made a promise to himself to be a world champion. Of course he won gold. I was ecstatic about it because that was my dream. <laughs> and then the next year, I wanted to defend because I didn't want people to think like, Oh, it was just a one-time thing. I wanted to prove that I could do it again. 
And he did prove it. Defended his men's T2 road race title. That endless grit and resolve pushed him over the line once more. Ryan's story is a long way from over. He's back at the Olympic Training Centre now, grinding every day ahead of the Paralympics in Tokyo. He wants gold this time, in both events, road and time trial. You wouldn't bet against it. Ryan Boyle wasn't meant to walk or talk again. A young kid told that the best he could hope for was typing with his right hand. Nobody told him he could be a Paralympian. Nobody told him he could be an inspiration. And nobody told him he could be a world champion. But above all, he hopes his achievements can be a part of changing perceptions. When someone says something about how a person's disabled, they kind of get the negative connotation that they need special treatment because they can't do as much as an able-bodied person. But I feel that that's rather ignorant because the person looking at the disabled one doesn't necessarily know them. And if they did, namely if they knew me, they would know that there's not much I can't do. And I think I speak for all Paralympians when I say that. So I just want to raise awareness that even though we're disabled, it's not a woe is me case because disabled people can do amazing things and sometimes even more things than our able-bodied counterparts. Looking back on it, it is very traumatic and incredibly unfortunate. But, um, like, to see where I am now, it it makes me proud to have this story because it's just something that no one should have to undergo. And, you know, you have a choice of feeling sorry for yourself or making the most of it. So I'm very grateful that I chose the latter. (laughs) And now I can touch so many lives. And I love that I have this story. you need to talk about how you're feeling, please call Samaritans on 116 123 from any UK or Republic of Ireland phone. Or you can email joe, that's jo, at samaritans.org. If you're listening from outside of the UK, 
www.befrienders.org lists similar organisations worldwide. Raw, stories of bravery, determination and talent is an original Eurosport series produced by Mundale Studio. The narrator and story editor is me, Owen Blackhurst, the writer and producer is James Bird, and the executive producers are Tyre Papula and Seb White. The assistant producer is Chris Byfield. For Eurosport, the commissioning editor is Mark Aishen, and the executive producer is Ian Brackley. Original music composed by Harry Harris.